Amen. Aren't you glad the Lord Jesus Christ saved you? What a blessing. Most of you, if not all of you here that are here this morning, have been born again. And uh, we have a new uh, name, of course, a new home in heaven. Looking forward to being able to be there someday. But until then, we must continue on. I wanted to talk to you and help you understand a little bit more concerning the mission of Jesus Christ, to be steadfast in his mission. I think when we were talking about the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ, why he came, the Bible actually tells us many places, but the book of Hebrews seems to be a little more clear to me the older I get. And this is the reason why Christ came, who he is and why he came, just in verse number three alone of Hebrews chapter one. And so understanding of who he is gives us that ability then to know that not only his mission, that we actually enter it into it with being part of the commission. He gave us the commission, the great commission, we call it. But the commission then is that we would come alongside of the Lord, or he come alongside of us to accomplish his mission. And that is that he would seek and to save those which are lost. But sometimes it gets a little bit uh, difficult and perhaps a little bit uh, on the shelf someplace, his mission, because we've got our own mission going on. We've got our own desires, our own, our own dreams and our own vision. And uh, my question would be, do your desires, uh, are they involved with helping the Lord Jesus Christ with his mission? And so staying steadfast in that and staying the course, I think it takes a little bit of an understanding more of who he is. And so look at, if you would, the third verse the first, uh, of Hebrews chapter 1, the first verse, who was Christ? Uh, questions about Christ and who he is, of course, are all answered uh, from the scriptures. And um, I think it's important for us to remember who he is. In this particular verse, uh, it actually answers questions for us. Who is he? Uh, first, the first statement, the first three words, um, deal with who he is. Who being in the brightness of his glory, the first few words there, who being in the brightness of his glory or the expressed image. And so we're talking about who being, that, that verbiage is not like we use today. Um, but this is basically saying who he is, and it proves that is of his pre-existence and his pre-essence, if you would. Not only his existence, but also his essence, is that he is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The bright glory of the Father was his light and his immortality, if you would, his eternal existence. Jesus Christ always was, he is today, and he will always be the Lord Jesus Christ. His immutability is, is uh, his unchangeableness, if you would. His impeccability, meaning that he's without defect or error, um, was his light, his ability to shine. And I think we teach the kids early on, uh, many of us do, in the Sunday school classes, in the junior church, we sing it. We like to sing it. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. You've sung it before and you hold your finger up and, and you talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. Put it under a... Yeah, very good class. Uh, uh, no, I'm not going to put it under a bushel. I'm going to shine. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit shine through me. I'm going to let the Lord Jesus Christ shine through me. So uh, the light is a positive force because it illuminates. 
And so when we're talking about the light of the Lord Jesus Christ, we understand that he, being the brightness of the glory of the Father, is expressed here, who being proves his preexistence and his preessence. Also, the expressed image is mentioned here. What does that mean? It means the exact copy or engraved or stamped. Um, someone went on to say, for these words, it is evident. The apostle states that Jesus Christ to be of the same essence with the Father as the preceding brilliance and must be of the same without inherent riches. riches. And so the same is the Father, that Christ through proceeding from the Father is of the same essence of the Father. It's called the Trinity. Many of us believe in that. First, uh, First John 5 7 says that there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And we know the Word was made flesh. And it says these three are one. And if you got the Trinity all figured out, could you meet me in the office? I'd like to have you teach me a little bit more because there's so much involved when it comes to that understanding that although Christ is thus of the same essence with the Father, yet he is a distinct person from the Father. And so these three are one. We have the Father in heaven. Someone asked me this morning, how should we pray? And they were talking about whether or not uh, God um, was a female or a male. They were watching a film or something, and they were getting involved with some kind of, I think it was called the shack. Um, And they were saying, what do you think about that, Pastor? And I didn't really want to answer him because I wanted to be nice. Um, You know how pastors are supposed to be really sweet all the time. And so on. But I did answer him and I said that, you know, there's a part in there where it talks about God being a female. That's not the truth. And so I said, I, I just wouldn't accept that. He says, well, is God, fa- is he the f- father, male or female? And I said, well, you just answered the question, Father. You just said it yourself. When Jesus said to pray, he said, our Father who art in heaven. So that answers the question. Gives us a little bit more of an understanding of what the world is trying to do. And by the way, there's a whole lot of stuff in that film, maybe that's good. He talked about forgiveness and so on, and that's a wonderful thing. But to have a warped concept of who God is, is going to give you a warped concept of life and who you really are. And so a direct understanding of who God is is important, a direct understanding of who Jesus Christ is, and also a direct understanding of the person of the Holy Spirit and how that they are involved within our lives. And that Christ is the eternal with the Father. We understand that. Yet he is distinct person from the Father. And so the words of his person is important. If you look at the, the text again, who being in the brightness of his glory and the expected image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. And he by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the Father. Of his persons dealing with, helps us understand of the divine substance, not just uh, appearance uh, of the Christ. It was him being here and he did appear to men. It wasn't some spirit form that walked on the water and, and it was really Jesus was here physically. God the Father was here physically on the earth walking on the water. It's interesting as we think about that because it helps us really meditate upon this particular passage a little different. What the second thing, think about this also, what he is doing. And then the verse says, upholding all things by the word of his power. And so we're understanding that this Christ whom we speak is actually upholding all things with the word of his power. 
His sustaining, of course. He's involved with creation. We see that toward the end of the chapter. He is involved with creation. Uh, he is actually was there present in Genesis 1.1. We, we know that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Lord Jesus Christ was there in person when everything was created. Then he is the sustainer because Colossians 1 tells us that, that he is the not only the creator, but the sustainer of all things. Uh, he is defending. He is controlling all things means more than just the things that are on earth. It's amazing how we've been able to touch down on Mars. Would you like to take a trip to Mars? I really wouldn't want to. I think I'm just fine right here, standing behind this pulpit. But there are going to be trips, I guess, if you wanted to go. It's pretty expensive. I don't know if anybody could afford that. But we're having all kinds of things that man is achieving. It's wonderful because we are creative. It's, it's amazing how, how we really haven't tapped into our creative side, to be honest with you. Um, I'm around a lot of builders. I'm around people who, who see things uh, differently and can see construction work. I was thinking of Terry Rogers, part of our church. He's, he can see things at the end of the project. I, I can't do that thinking, well, I can kind of see that, you know, but he's very creative. My wife does a good job with crafts, and some of the things I've seen lately come out of that craft room is pretty creative. And, but did you know what? That comes from God. God is a creative God. He's, he's, he's not put in some box to think that he is going to um, be placed in somebody's mind a certain way. Our God can work any time, any way he chooses, and we ought to submit to that. We ought to say, God is big, bigger than me. It comes to that really proves that he is God. Again, he is controlling that all things means that he is not only the creator, but he is the sustainer of the things on this earth and all of the galaxies and the stars and all the things that we can't see. So what is he doing upholding all things, the text says, by the word of his power. Wow. Just by his word. It's amazing. Can you think about that? That God can create something out of nothing? Man can't do that. Let there be what? Light. And there was light. We think about this also in the verse, which what he has already done for us. And so this is all part of the verse. What God has, who he is, who Jesus Christ is, what he has done, what he is doing. And what he has done is very important for us this morning. I think that the verse goes on to say, when he had purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. What does that mean, purged our sins? I was thinking this morning as I was going over my notes again, is that someone should come up with some kind of a a laundry detergent called purge. Is there one? I mean, because purging is a lot greater than just tide or, you know, there's, there, we understand this because the word actually has to deal with being clean. I want to go a little further with that word if I can. Purged our sins. Only the high priest could do this. And I think if we think about it, the Lord Jesus Christ is the only one that can remove your sin. And I think that if you try to do it yourself, you're going to actually spend a lot of money 
see a lot of priests, you're going to go ahead and do a lot of things, maybe even enter into some sacrifices, but your sins will never be gone until you trust Jesus Christ and what he's done, purged. Peokarithamos. It is to take away, but also to wash us off. I think about how that when I was just uh, a young dad, and it was Easter Sunday, it was in March. I don't know what the year, my wife would know the year. It must have been probably, um, let's see, 1986 or so. Um, Joshua, he's here this morning, but he went outside, and it was Easter Sunday, and we had to go to church, but he went outside, put his boots on, and my wife is okay with that. If he gets dirty, he'll come back in, and we'll just change it. But he was muddy from his knees all the way down. He must have got stuck somewhere or something, and I remember him coming in the house, and, and uh, we took his boots off, we took his trousers off, and had to take him into the washer, you know, take him in to give him a shower. But we just didn't take the boots off and stuff, and then just put his good clothes on. He had a shower. My wife did it all. Of course, she, she took care of the kids better than I could have. But I can imagine what it was like for him because I'm certain that he felt like he was pretty dirty, needed to be cleaned. And when we were heading to church, he was just fine. And uh, the Lord Jesus Christ can do that. He'll take off the mess and he'll clean you afterwards. He has the power to purge your sin. I don't think there's anybody in this room would say that they never sinned. I think if I was to go around the room and say, have you sinned, you would actually agree with me that you've sinned. And if I was somehow to be able to put the screen down and put your sins up there, I think some of you would probably head for your cars. I think I'd head for mine. Sin is horrible. We saw that this morning in Sunday school class. There's a, a darkness in sin. There's a, there's a dirtiness about sin. There's a filthiness. There's a guilt. All of that is with, comes along with sin. But you know what Jesus Christ can do? He can even clean you to the place where your conscience is completely clean about what had been done. Because he's willing to forgive. Yeah. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when the Bible's basically talking about that he had sat down at the right hand of the Father after he had purged our sins, that our sins are gone. He sat down. That's because it was fulfilled. It was completed. Did you ever get done with something? And you just want to sit down? I just can't wait to sit down. That's the Lord Jesus Christ did that because it was done. D-O-N-E. Do you understand that? It's finished. He took care of it. He took care of your sin, and then he cleansed you afterwards. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. So this verse gives us the progression of why Christ came. And so this earthly, the earthly mission of the divine son is Jesus Christ himself was interested in helping the thinking process of his disciples. And he many times sat down on the hillside with them and helped shift their understanding because sometimes we think a certain way and we would agree that this is why the Lord Jesus Christ came when I think the Bible answers every question concerning that. Uh, He desired to correct the negative thinking of his disciples and sometimes we have that negative thinking or the stinking thinking. 
When it comes to negative, I just want to use that term, not in a bad way, but in a sense to help you understand why Jesus Christ came. Why did he come? Well, Jesus came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. So he didn't come to, to, uh, to, he came not to destroy the law. Now think about this for a moment. The verse says, think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets, but I am come to destroy, not to destroy, but to fulfill. And so when he's talking about fulfilling it, Barnes puts it this way, not to destroy. He says, our Savior was just entering on his work, and it was important for him to state to his disciples what he came to do by his setting up to be the teacher in opposition to the scribes and the Pharisees. Some might charge him with an intention to destroy their law or abolish the customs of the nation. He therefore told them that he did not come for that end, but really to fulfill or accomplish what was in the law. That's the first five books of the Bible. And the prophets, that's the minor and the major prophets, to destroy means to be uh, abrogate, I think is what the word is, abolish or annul. That's what destroy means. He didn't come to abolish or to annul or to deny their divine authority to set men free from the obligation to obey them. See, we think that the the law was completely thrown out where it has not. Jesus Christ fulfilled the law. Pretty powerful. But to fulfill, another commentator went on to say, to unfold them, to to unfold them, to embody them in living form, and to enshrine them in the reverence, in the affection, and, and, and character of men. Am I come? Pretty powerful. Jesus came not to condemn the world, but to save it. Pretty powerful because he didn't come to condemn the world. Many people think, well, Jesus Christ came to make me feel bad about everything. No, he came to make you feel pretty good. He came to help you deal with the sin problem. That's why the gospel is so effective. That's why we give so much money toward, toward missions and why we try to do a missionary story here or at least uh, the missionary update newsletter for you to help you understand that the gospel is going all around the world. Jesus Christ came not to condemn the world. The Bible says in John 3, verse number 7, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the whole world through him might be saved. And that's not the elect. He came to save every soul, whoever would come to him. It wasn't just a certain amount of people that he had his hand on. He had his hand upon you, and he still does. And if you can hear me this morning, God wants you to come to him. He's drawing you. His spirit is speaking to you. Come, I'll give you what you need. You don't have to go to the bottle. You don't have to go to the pills and stuff. You can come to Jesus to get that kind of peace. He will supply it for you. Jesus came not to minister, to be ministered unto, but also to minister. And so when we're thinking about the negative of this whole subject is, why Jesus came, Jesus came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. The Bible says in Matthew 20, verse number 8, even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life as a ransom for many. He starts out with a negative and comes out with a positive. This is not why I'm here. I'm not here just to make you feel bad. I'm here to give you life and light and love talking to his disciples, I can't even imagine what it was like as he was sitting on the hillside speaking to them. 
Wouldn't you like to be this little shepherd boy somewhere, not too far away from when Jesus was speaking to the disciples? Wouldn't you like to just to be someone, if you could go back in time? What's that old show we used to watch? Quantum Leap, you can go back in time and change things. Wouldn't you like to go back and just change things or see things? Boy, I don't know what heaven's going to be like, but I just wonder if we can go back and, and place ourselves in history maybe and watch it all unfold and to be able to see it as it really was. And sometimes films will try to do that or documentaries will. But, but I really believe it's important for us to put in our mind the understanding of why Jesus Christ came. Jesus came not to call right, the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so he didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. In Luke chapter 5, verse number 32, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so if we understand this, he didn't come to do all that, then what did he come to do? I think it's clear. Let me just give you the first thing. To reveal what God the Father is like. <laughs> you ever think, what is God like? Well, we've got Jesus we know exactly how Jesus was, how tender-hearted he was, and how compassionate he was, and full of mercy. But we saw also that there were certain things that he didn't really like. He didn't like that they were actually using his house for the collection of money and exchanging and giving maybe someone a, a little bit for something that really wasn't worth a lot. Maybe somebody more money that was actually something that wasn't worth much at all. But I think it's important when we look, about, look at this because it says here in the text, verses 2 and 3, hath in these days spoken unto us by his son. Okay, so and prior he talked to the prophets. Verse number 1, God at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. But he hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things by whom also he made the worlds. And so verse number three, who being in the brightness of his glory and the expressed image of his person in upholding all things by the word of his power, when he himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the Father. So John verse, chapter one, verse number 18. Now man hath seen God, not, not, no man has seen God at any time. In the only begotten son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him or revealed him. And so he's direct understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ being divine, which there are people that don't believe that Jesus was God and Jesus is God. You take away Jesus away from God, we have no salvation. It's interesting that some cults out there would actually separate Jesus from God. They're together, they're one. And again, John 14, 9, Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me, seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Pretty powerful statement. Gives me an understanding that God is spirit. Of course I know that. He is invisible. He cannot be seen with the physical eye. And all of us at some time or other have asked the question, What is God is like? What is, what is God like? The little child saying, what is God like, Mama? Read him the scriptures and tell him about Jesus Christ. I think it'd be good for us to take a little small notebook and just write Jesus is and then write next to it what he is from the text. He's loving. He's compassionate. He is forgiving. Very powerful. The word 
was made flesh and dwelt among us, John 14, or verse, chapter 1, verse 14, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shown in in the face of Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 4, 6, and 1 John 1, 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard and which we have seen with our eyes and which we have looked upon and our hands have handled the word of life, capital W. The word was made flesh. And so when we're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, we're talking about the Father. And ever since the birth of Jesus, nearly 2,000 years ago, we have been able to see the glory of God. We've been able to see it many times. I remember the story years ago, I read about a missionary who had to leave his child at home uh, when he went overseas. They used to do that quite a bit. Um, parents would actually find boarding schools for their children, and then they would go into India, and, and they'd go into Africa and different places. A little boy, a child of a missionary parents, was attending school in the United States some years ago, and he hadn't seen his parents since the preceding summer. and wouldn't see them again until the next summer, a few days before Christmas. The principal of the school said to him, Jimmy, what would you like to have most of all? For this Christmas, there was a picture on the principal's desk of the boy's missionary father, and the boy looked at the frame in the picture for just a little while. He stared at it. After a few minutes, he said, I I would like my father to step out of the picture and be with me. You know, this little boy's voiced the cry, really, of all humanity. Because even the Greek philosophers, Plato even said, Many years ago, he would love it if God could walk down the streets of Athens. But in Israel, generation after generation looked for the Messiah. And soon after Adam and Eve were driven out of the garden, they looked for the promise of the Redeemer. And then one night, nearly 2,000 years ago, God stepped out of the frame of the universe and appeared on the earth in the person of Jesus Christ. Wow. Before the Old Testament patriarchs did not see God in his real essence, but only in angelic form, perhaps. Or if what is more properly called a theophany, Jesus came to this earth so that we might learn to know what the Father is like. That's his purpose for coming. I want to show you what my Father is like. And when you pray unto him, pray unto him, O our Father who art in heaven. A reverence. But he came for another reason. He came to atone for and then put away our sin. The Bible says in 1 John 3, 5, and you know that he was manifest or revealed to take away our sin, and in him is no sin. Jesus, speaking of his death, said this, for this cause I came into the world. It says in 1 Timothy 1, 15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Paul said that. Interesting as we think about that. Jesus Christ came to Bethlehem primarily to die. He came to the earth as a baby to Bethlehem in order that he might later become the Christ of Calvary. So all men have sinned and every one of us has fallen short to the standard which God demands And our sin places a separation between us and God. And the gulf is so wide. The separation is so great that none of us, by his own efforts, could ever close the gap. 
without Jesus Christ. And many seem to think that the gulf between God can be closed by good works. Some believe if they go to church enough or if they get baptized or if they do this and that, that their sins will be gone. Let me tell you something. What you, what you want is the truth. And the only way that you can get to heaven is not through your baptism. The only way you can get to heaven is being immersed in the love of God by taking what Jesus Christ has done on the cross for your sins. You can't pay the price no matter how religious you become. You'll never be able to appease your conscience. The only thing that will appease your conscience is the precious blood of Jesus Christ and him alone. It's interesting as we think about this because religion has come up with all kinds of ways that they can actually erase their guilt or do enough work and so on. You can't do it. Let me just give you an example. Some, suppose a plane is flying toward a base in this continent. And someone wrote this years ago, and suddenly it crashes into the frigid water north of that continent. And three men are thrown into the ocean, and the plane is sinking, and slowly, but it's sinking. And nobody is near that spot. Can you imagine? And the closest land to that particular plane where it crashed was New Zealand, a thousand miles away. And one of the men began to swim for 10 minutes. The second man began to swim for two hours. The third man was a world champion, long-distance swimmer. But guess what? All three of them would perish. No matter how skillful you are, how brilliant you think you are, sin is sin, and we're all born with it. And the payment is that we would go to hell without Jesus Christ. Pretty powerful. And so he then, being in the brightness of his glory, in the expressed image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the Father. Every person needs a Savior, no matter how good he is. The Bible says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. The brightest message that has ever been delivered to mankind is the story of Jesus Christ. That's why it's called the good news. That's why it's called the gospel. I love 1 John 3, 5. It says this, you know that he was manifest to take away our sins. Of course, the angel said in Matthew 1, 21, it says, and he shall bring forth a son and thou shalt call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. Do you know why Jesus Christ came? To show you what the Father's like, but also to atone to take care of your sins. He, it's more, he more than just came to, to, give us the, to give us eternal life. There's more reasons why he came. He also came to destroy the works of the devil. In 1 John 3.8 says, For his purpose the Son of Man was manifested, he might destroy the works of the devil. And the message is, in this sentence really is filled with good news. The devil is a murderer and a liar. And the Bible says that he is lawless, he is deceitful, and he is very subtle. He alienates from God. He blinds people to the truth. He promotes self, selfishness and jealousy and cruelty. But the Bible says that Jesus Christ came to destroy the works of the devil. The word destroy here in the Greek is the word luo. It means, it doesn't mean demolish or to break up. It means to loosen who is bound, or to free, if you would, to set free. And so when Jesus raised Lazarus from the tomb, he said, loose him and let him go. He was talking about the bandages that were there. 
And the word loose in the Greek language translated destroy, it says, for if this purpose was the Son of God manifested, he might destroy or loosen and set men free from the works of the devil. So through Christ, we can live the kind of life God wants us to live. First John chapter 3, verse number 8 says, For this purpose was God the Son manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. I like the story about Eddie Taylor. I've never met him. I was reading about him years ago. I want to read to you a little story about him. It says, He was once a drunkard. He slept off his drunkenness near the boardwalk of Atlanta City. He was as far gone as a man could get. He staggered from tavern to tavern, the south end of the city. Then after he soaked himself in liquor, he flopped beneath the boardwalk and slept in his stupor. He wrapped himself with old newspapers to keep warm at times. The devil brings men to that sorry state over and over. We need godly friends, not someone who is with a good talk, but somebody who will go and get us and bring us into a place so that they can hear the gospel. And that was such the case with Eddie Taylor. And he responded to the gospel invitation, and he came to Christ. He says here, today, beer and liquor no longer attract him. Jesus Christ has delivered him, loosed him from the power of the devil. Jesus Christ can do that. Can I be honest with you? I really should be. I could have been the same as my grandfathers. Both my grandfathers were alcoholics, both of them. But praise God for the mercy of Jesus Christ. Now, let me tell you something. There's a lot of things in your past, perhaps, with your heritage of your people or whatever, and you could say, wow, they were going in the wrong direction. I have it, and you have it. But by the grace of God, somebody took you to hear the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. My one grandfather, Harry Howell, kind of a mystery at times. I look back at my grandpa, he's tall, six foot four. His lip was always up like this all the time, and he had a cup in his pocket, and he'd spit tobacco in it. Somehow, in the middle 40s, some gospel preacher came to him, and I found it not too long ago where it said on the night of his conversion, this little book was given to him. So I'm hoping my father, my, my grandfather's in heaven, Harry Howell. Jim McCluskey, my other, my mom's dad, um, he grew up in, in this city, uh, this area here. Um, he was known as Smiling Jim. You can text, you can Google him. Smiling Jim McCluskey. Uh, they thought he would actually be in Hollywood. They wanted him to go there, but he decided to raise his seven children here in Madison. Um, he, 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 really, he really did a good job, him and Grandma. But you know, my grandpa began to play in taverns and different places, and what happens when they do that is they say, boy, play my song, I'll give you a drink. You know? And pretty soon after about four or five of them, my grandpa was pretty, pretty well messed up. And, of course, he began to drink to the place where he lost the ability to be asked to come in anymore. And uh, got to the place where he had lost homes, lost his jobs. My mom was even on the streets one time and met him, and my grandpa was asking her, Ma'am, could you give me a quarter for just a little, little cup of coffee or something? 
didn't even recognize my mom. That was my grandpa, Jim McCluskey. Until someone invited him to a little small church off Diamond Drive called Evangel Temple. And he walked in that day. And he sat down. At the invitation, he walked forward and a fella gave him the gospel of Jesus Christ. My grandpa had a problem with drinking, big time. And he had a couple of slip-ups after that, to be honest. One time I was cleaning out his car with him. He said, you get everything under the seat, Dean. I'll just throw this over here in the trash. Well, guess what I found under the seat? A little bottle. Boy, did he take that out of my hands really quick. You know? But I remember in 1969, a Catholic person who believed only in the priest and the Catholic Church and really um, a performer that was making pretty good money finally came to himself and said, I need Jesus Christ as my Savior. That's why Jesus Christ came. He came to really express and show you what the Father's like. He came according to the verses to atone for our sin. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. He came really to, to, to show us and model for us how to be real and honest and humble in all the things that we do. He showed us how to serve when he took off his robe and put on and gird himself and washed the feet of his disciples. It's pretty powerful. People say, why did he come? He came for more reasons than we really know. And the Bible gives us so many of them. But to prepare us really for the second coming, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse number 28, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many unto them that look for him. He shall appear the second time without sin unto salvation. The fact is that the Lord Jesus Christ came to prepare us for the second coming. And that's going to happen soon. I really believe it. Jesus Christ, Jesus is not coming the second time to put away sin. He already did that. He's coming to complete our salvation. The final act of redemption, the curtain's going to unfold. And there it will be. We'll be with him forever throughout eternity. The curtain can be drawn, by the way, at any time. It is the final act of redemption. He is coming to get you soon. He came the first time to atone for our sins. He's coming the second time to execute judgment on the earth. And boy, I tell you what, it looks like it needs it. And when he came the first time, there was no room for him in the end. But guess what? He's going to make room this time, isn't he? And every knee shall bow to him. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. And Jesus came the first time to deal with sin and to pay the price for it. He's coming the second time to set up his kingdom on earth. It's called the millennium. And we are going to be able to worship him in person. Every, every sign indicates that it's pretty ripe right now for his coming. Are you ready? Are you willing? then it's really simple. Just talk to God any place, anywhere you choose and say, Lord, I've sinned against you and I know that my good works can't save me. No religion can save me. Only Jesus Christ can save me. If you would admit that to God, I know I'm a sinner. I need you to be my savior. It may take some pride to be set aside for you to be able to admit that. 
to say to the God of heaven, he's created you. He, by the way, he knows who you are anyway. He just wants you to admit it. Simply say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Would you come and say, forgive me of my sin. Come into my life and save me. It's pretty powerful. I remember years ago, I had a fellow in the Marine Corps that did something horrible. He came and told me about it. After about five days of showing him from the Scriptures what he should do, he came back to me on the fifth day or sixth day, and he said, Dean, I got out of my rack last night, and I got on my knees, and I asked Jesus to forgive me of all my sin. I don't know where Larry Sabinski is today. I'd love to find out. I don't even know how you spell his last name. Otherwise, I'd look up Facebook and try to find him. But one day I'll see him because his name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And so is mine. He came to me one time after he got saved and he said, Dean, I drew a picture of what I think heaven's like. And he had all these, he had God in the center and he had all these houses around him. He said, I think your house is right here. (laughs) And I want mine to be right here. Right next to me. You know, I think he was appreciative of me giving him the truth rather than going to all the religious things he had to go through, that he had that much love and respect. But let me tell you something, folks. We need to love the Lord our God because he's given us salvation so rich and free through Jesus Christ. Have you trusted him? I hope you have. Every head bowed and every eye closed just for a moment this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I'm still not sure. Still not sure. I think I'm going to go to heaven, but I, I'm not for sure. I hope I will. And maybe this morning you'd say, honestly, w- would you help me? I need someone to show me how I can know for sure. Without pointing you out and coming to you, I just simply ask Do you need Jesus Christ? And simply raise your hand and put it back down again and say, I've never, I've never asked him to save me, but I need to now. Is there anyone else? Just raise your hand, put it back down again. Thank you for your understanding and your need. But it's so simple. And so when the piano begins to play, why don't you make your way down here and I'll have someone take you in a different room and show you how you can know for sure you're going to heaven. But Christian... This was for you also, to help strengthen your faith. You put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. And all these years you've been faithful to him. It's wonderful. But sometimes we get to the place where we're depleted. We're not able to be able to to keep going at times spiritually. And maybe God has spoken to your heart this morning and you just need to come. Say thank you, Lord. The altar is going to be open for you. Maybe he's speaking to you on something else. Why don't you come and deal with it? His spirit is here this morning working in your heart. Every, every person, would you just please close your eyes and stand right where you are? Let's have an invitation. The altar's open for you. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in Jesus' name. Amen.